Y'all typically stand for the reading of the word. But if you, since you're seated, let's go ahead and just stay seated. And um, I'm going to give us a little bit of an intro to uh, Psalm 98, the text before us. And uh, just, again, thank you so much. It's such a real blessing to have fellowship with you all, to pray with you all, and to, um, to share in the kingdom work that we're all engaged in. And um, we're going to be looking at Psalm 98 today. And <clears throat> actually, I can go ahead and direct your attention to the first verse. Uh, I think you all have it on this yellow, the text on this yellow insert in your bulletins. But if you look at that insert, you see verse 1 there, the first clause, it says, Sing to the Lord a new song. Now, if you just kind of camp out on that for one quick second, sing to the Lord a new song. That instruction, that command presupposes that God's people have already been singing an old song. We don't know exactly what the nature of that old song is. The psalm doesn't really address it. That's not what the psalm is really about. But I want you to think about this question as we read the text. I want you to think about what's the old song that I've been singing? Have I been making a joyful noise in the day in and day out when no one else is watching? In your prayers before the living God, what song would you say you're offering to him? Now, that's a little bit of an abstract question to ask. So um, I brought a little, uh, this little handy dandy device, this little recorder, a voice recorder. Imagine the voice recorder capturing your heart. And if you were going to make a playlist from what this voice recorder has captured in your heart, what would the sounds be? What would it sound like? Maybe you could. Maybe some of you in here are really, uh, you know, musicians like our musician, musicians here. Um, I'm sure a lot of you have your own Spotify playlists and mixtapes. Um, you know, I love making mixtapes and Spotify playlists. But what is the the playlist or the soundtrack of your heart before the Lord? What would it sound like? Would it sound like a uh, summer beach mix. Maybe it'd sound like uh, a little bit of, of Motown. Maybe it would be a little different. Maybe it would sound like some heavy metal right now. Maybe that's the mood or the season that you're in. Um, maybe it would be melancholy. What would the soundtrack be like? What would the genre be? Would, it be, would, it, would the music be hopeful? Would it be sad? Would it be contemplative? Would it be celebratory? The question before you as we read this text is, um, does Psalm 98 make your mixtape? Is it on the soundtrack of your heart? This, this text that we're going to read together. So this is the word of the Lord. Psalm 98. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. And all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. 
Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and all those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the people's with equity. Let's pray together before we go further. Father, thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for speaking life into our brokenness. This is a big vision and a big claim before us. God, we pray that you would convince our hearts and enable us through your spirit, through your son, to worship you and to celebrate you and to sing this way. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Proverbs 4.23 is a great verse to know, to memorize. Uh, Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from your heart flow the springs of life. Jesus updated this a little bit in Luke 6 and Matthew 12, also in Matthew 15. When Jesus said, engaging the Pharisees, he said, Out of the abundance of the heart, the, t- the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, out of the overflow of what's inside, the mouth speaks. In terms of the Psalms, we might modify that just a little bit to say, out of the abundance of the heart, the tongue sings. That's kind of the idea that I want to bring before you all today. And when I asked that question earlier, what is the soundtrack that's kind of bubbling up or, or overflowing from your heart? That's what I'm, I'm, I'm asking. Um, that, that recorder is a good image to think about, the recorder being right there, capturing all that, because sometimes we don't know. Uh, we don't know what sounds we're making or what, what the soundtrack of our lives actually sounds like. I want to share with you all two soundtracks from my past week. Um, soundtrack one, or the, the first recording, uh, was yesterday. And um, like David, I had a, the blessing of traveling to Atlanta this past week, uh, being a part of the, the Presbyterian in America General Assembly, which is basically like Presbyterian summer camp for adults. And, uh, and it was a great blessing. Um, I got back home on Friday night. Kelly and Elise picked me up from the airport Went home, pretty exhausting week, and, um, but, but we said Friday night, we said, you know what, Saturday, we're going to hit the ground running, we're going to seize the weekend, let's go on a hike. You know, where, where do you go on a hike in, in Dallas? That's a, a good question. But we were going to go down to the, um, the uh, Trinity River Audubon Center, and uh, it, I've heard some good things about it. I, don't, I actually haven't been there, maybe you have, but we were going to go on a hike on Saturday morning. Until I realized, as I was going to get my hat and uh, some clothes, that uh, I opened up my suitcase and I had grabbed the wrong suitcase from the, the baggage, from, from the carry-on. You know, brilliant move by me. So, so we, we, we're driving down the uh, toll, uh, tollway, and I called Southwest, and I mean, okay, so here's the recorder. What did it capture? Just a lot of shortness. And... Um, not pleasant, not pleasant, Robbie. 
Pleasant, Robbie, but that was not pleasant. And then I go to, you know, the baggage claim office at Southwest, and I'm standing in line, and I mean, is there a more difficult place than being, there's nowhere you want to, you would rather be less than the baggage claim, the lost luggage office of the airport. And um, sure enough, the, the soundtrack from the phone call continued, and I was not pleasant in line, and uh, no, one, no one else was being pleasant in line either. And, um, you know, what was really interesting as I was standing there in line is that the manager who was helping me was so gracious. He was so friendly. He was so nice. It was this, you know, you know clash of sounds, really. Um, and I actually noticed he had some Motown playing in the background, too, which I think is kind of like to try to tamp down all of the tired and angry and frustrated and complaining travelers like me. And uh, so just, just let that, that's the first recording, okay? That's recording one. It's the soundtrack of the lost luggage line, all right? So remember that one. Now, here's the next recording. After we were at the, the luggage claim, uh, we went down to, we didn't have time to go down to the hike, so I blew that one, but we ended up going down to Clyde Warren Park, downtown Dallas, and I'm sure you've had a chance to go there. If, if you haven't yet, you got to go. It's amazing. Um, but we found this in the kids' area. We found this nice shady spot with a little hill under some trees and um, just plopped ourselves right down, down right there, and we started watching toddlers and older kids and puppies frolicking through the splash pad. And um, I mean, there's probably not a more joyous place in Dallas than that place, from the luggage line to the splash pad. And if I could capture the soundtrack of the splash pad, I mean, at one point my daughter was over in one of the puddles and she's literally doing ballet. It's just this amazing picture of joy of overflowing, abundant joy. And I want to capture the soundtrack of that place. So we've got two soundtracks now, the recording from the, luggage, the lost luggage line and the recording from the splash pad, okay? Those are the two things that are in tension in this passage and in our lives. You have grumbling against joy. And which one better characterizes you right now? In this psalm, it's a very famous psalm, Psalm 98, God commands seven times in nine verses to make a joyful noise. It doesn't say make a joyful noise seven times in the passage, but, but that's what it's, the idea is getting at. Seven different times in this passage, over and over again, almost every single line in the passage issues this imperative. Now, when you're at the splash pad, it's not hard to make a joyful, no, joyful noise. When you're in the luggage line, it's hard to make a joyful noise, okay? Um, Now, in this psalm, Psalm 98, the fact that you're being told seven different times you're supposed to worship God with joy, I don't know, how, how does that strike you? I mean, probably it's not all that helpful to be commanded to worship with joy. In fact, if you're anything like me, that maybe even makes you feel a little bit guilty or like, oh, okay, worship with joy. I got it. Got that. I got to, I'm on to the next thing. But 
honestly, the question before us is, is this, what is your capacity for praising God when life is hard? In the midst of the struggle, in the midst of adversity, and the luggage line is not adversity. It sure feels like it when you're there, but in real adversity, what's your capacity to, to make a joyful noise to the Lord? Uh, now, there's something really interesting about the Psalms, and I know, I'm sure you guys feel this a little bit uh, as you're going through the Psalms in the, in the sermon series this summer, but one scholar said the Psalms kind of feel like, kind of feel like Hershey Kisses. They're like these really sweet little individually wrapped things that you can just kind of plop one in and, and go on about your business. They don't necess- it's hard to sometimes see the connection that the Psalms have to one another. I mean, there's 150 of them. It's hard to see how they all kind of fit together. Now, the Psalm that we're looking at, Psalm 98, comes in book four of the book of Psalms. And book four, some scholars think, uh, which is Psalm 90 to Psalm 106, book four does kind of have this overarching theme, and it's a, it's a theme of God's kingship, Yahweh's kingship. You see in many of the Psalms in this section of the, the whole Psalter, uh, Yahweh Melech, which means Yahweh is king. You see that in a lot of different places, and it's in our Psalm in verse six as well. But what's interesting about that is that it comes on the heels of book three. Book three of the Psalms is um, Psalm 73 to Psalm 89. And the theme of those Psalms is very different from Yahweh is King. In fact, that's some of the bleakest stuff in all of Scripture. It's just devastation. The destruction of uh, the, the northern kingdom of Israel, the destruction of the southern kingdom of Judah it's a, it, they can be some bleak psalms if you go through book three. Um, a lot of folks think that they kind of capture the exile, the sense of exile uh, of, of Israel having lost incredible blessing and in being up in, in, in exile. And now here comes book four, the reminder that Yahweh is king. Um, that's not conclusive. And you can ask all your uh, more, more finely tuned questions uh, questions to your pastor. I will refer all those to him. But it's one thing to say that God is king while you're enjoying the milk and honey of the promised land, while you're sitting in the splash pad. It's quite another thing to sing this song while you're languishing in exile. In the midst of suffering and monotony, This psalm is actually something we need. And here's what we need from Psalm 98. What we need to know most is why God's people should make a joyful noise. The psalmist gives us three reasons. In verses 1 to 3, he says God saves. In verses 4 to 6, he says that that God reigns. And then in verses 7 to 9, it says that he's coming back to make everything right. That's the reason for making a joyful noise to the Lord. Uh, You can't do that unless you can get your head around the realities that the psalm actually speaks to. So sing with joy, as as David already mentioned, joy to the world, joy for the world. That is, uh, this psalm is the basis for that famous hymn. Uh, Let's look first at um, God's saving power in in verses 1 to 3. Uh, Verse 1, again, it says, Sing to the Lord a new song, for he's done marvelous things. 
So again, think about what, maybe, maybe this would be a good conversation with your husband or your wife or your neighbor or your children even. Hey, what do you guys see coming out of the abundance of my heart? What's, what is the old song that I've been singing? Stop singing that tired old song. Um, actually, we, said, we, we heard it in our uh, assurance of pardon, which comes from 2 Corinthians 5. Um, the old has passed away. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has passed away. Everything has become new. Sing a new song. That's pretty cool. Does that, but can you sing like that's true for you? Does your, does your soundtrack, the soundtrack of your heart, uh, indicate that, that you're singing a new song, the new song of Jesus Christ? Uh, well, how would you know if you're singing that song? Well, you can see that God and the God you worship is the God who's done marvelous things. You can hear Billy Crystal now, marvelous things, right? Uh, this is the God who's done marvelous things. And, and God here, is, this is not any old generic God, Okay, when you see in, um, in verse 1, you see Lord there. And sometimes if you look at it in um, your Bible, you'll see Lord in all caps. You ever seen that before, all capital letters? The, the Hebrew there is not just God, not a generic God, but it's Yahweh, the personal name, the covenant name for God, the name of Israel's God, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, a particular God. And who is this God? Who's Yahweh? Yahweh is the God who revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush. And Moses said, who are you? And what should I tell uh, your, your people that, who sent me? And this is God's, God tells Moses, my name is I am. Yahweh. I'm the God who's faithful to the promises I made to your forefathers years ago. I'm the covenant-making God, the covenant-keeping God, the God who does marvelous things for his people. Like what? At the end of verse 1, you see, it says that this God, Yahweh, his right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. And now that, that uh, imagery of the right, the right hand and the holy arm that's an image of power, not just any power, royal power. Um, now, royal power, if I say that, we don't immediately connect with it because we're a little bit suspicious of, we have, sorry, Billy, um, a history of suspicion of, of royal power. And, um, you know, you can think of um, the uninhibited Henry VIII or the overbearing King George or even the power of a royal wedding to capture the attention and drive the media into a frenzy. Like, we, we don't exactly know what to do with royal power. But, but the royal power that, that this psalm is getting at is, is a, it's a really good royal power. It's a royal power that works salvation, uh, which means that, that Yahweh, due to his royal power, his holy power, has effected deliverance for his people. He is the God who's a noble and righteous rescuer, a selfless liberator. And when did he show and prove and demonstrate himself to be that selfless liberator, that, that righteous rescuer? It's in the Exodus. It's in the Exodus that um, these first three verses are really calling 
us to remember, calling God's people to, to look back and see the way that God saved his people. Um, verse 2, the Lord has made known, Yahweh has made known his salvation. So not only has he worked it, he's also made known the salvation, revealing his righteousness in the sight of all the nations. Um, there, we don't have time to get into, there's this really little interesting Hebrew he, Hebrew phrase there um, where it says, Yahweh has Yeshuad, uh, Yahweh has jesus in in verse 2, if you were to go and look at the Hebrew there. And I don't have time to get into all the nuances of that, but basically that just means, Yeshua means God saves. Yeshua is the name of the Greek translators of the Old Testament, later translated, Jesus, Jesus. Yahweh, Jesus. <laughs> Yahweh saved his people. And he did that in, in uh, the Old Testament, chiefly in the Exodus. Uh, verse 3, he has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. Um, we forget so much of the time God's faithfulness, but God remembers his faithfulness. And again, that those words, it doesn't quite come through, but, but the word for faithfulness is covenant love. It's a, it's a technical expression for God's uh, love that he binds himself with when he makes a covenant with Moses, with Abraham, uh, with David. He has bound himself to his people, and he demonstrated that in the Exodus. So, um, you can trust a God who gives himself to his people that way. Uh, you can give your heart to a God who cares for his people that way because he makes promises and he keeps them. He told Abraham, I'm going to give you that land. Remember, they languished for 400 years under the oppression of, of Egypt and the Pharaoh. And then 400 years later, and God delivers them. God saves them. He brings them to the promised land. He makes promises and he keeps them. And you can trust that. If you know that, that's, a, that's an anchor for you in, in, in the luggage line or when times are really difficult. That's an anchor point for you to remember, oh, wait, wait, wait. My God is the one who saved, and he demonstrated that in beautiful and compelling ways. After the Exodus, after God's people are brought out of Egypt, in Exodus 15, do you know what their response is? They sing. After they've come across the Red Sea, Exodus 15, 1, Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he's thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God. I will praise him. My father's God. I will exalt him. Who is like you, Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders. The peoples have heard it. Man, he, God, it says in verse 2, God revealed his uh, salvation in the sight of the nations. Um, the peoples have heard this. They tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. And then it goes on, and there's this huge party of celebration. Miriam takes the tambourines and starts shaking the tambourines. The response to God's saving power is joyful worship. So um, make a joyful noise because God saves. Now you, ha you can look back and there is 
it's a really important thing to do for you. Um, we need a historic memory, a historic mindset as we're trying to make our way in the world. But it's not just his, history alone that guides us. Because even as God saved the people, he also still reigns today. Um, he is the one who's reigning in verses 4 to 6. Uh, you see right there at the beginning of verse 4 where it says, Make a joyful noise to the, to the Lord, all the earth. I want to take a minute just to um, reflect a little bit more on that, on that phrase, all the earth with you. Um, er, this is a theme that's been developed a couple times already. Uh, we've already seen several times where um, before all the nations in verse 2, the, the heathen, the Gentiles, they see the salvation of the Lord. And then again in verse 3, um, all the ends of the earth have seen the salvations of, salvation of our God. So now in verse 4, the entire earth is commanded to make the joyful noise. So um, everyone last week was uh, really on pins and needles, weren't we? As we were watching this historic meeting between our president and North Korea. I mean, this was something that has, I mean, it, it was a historic event that happened in the past week. And you have the leader of the free world meeting with the, one of the world's leading dictators. But even, this is fascinating, even the wisest sage of foreign policy, the most seasoned vet Kissinger or veteran of, of global affairs, has no clue what comes next and where this leads. I mean, there, there's just a lot of uncertainty in international relations. But when we look at this passage... And we look at the way in which God the King reigns, we can have great certainty. Not triumphalistic certainty, but we can have great certainty that God is going to care for his people. Um, Deuteronomy 4, uh, again reflecting on, on this, this Exodus story, Deuteronomy 4 says this, Search from one end of heaven to the other. And see whether such a great thing as this has ever happened or was heard of, of any God attempting to go and take a nation for himself out of the midst of another nation by trials and signs and wonders and war and a mighty hand and outstretched arm and by great deeds, all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt. So again, look back, but, 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 but do it with the mindset that the same God who saved then still sits on the throne today. Um, as all of the earth is commanded to break forth and make a joyful noise. I wanted to ask you this question. Who do you think among the people in your life, who would you say has the ability? I mean, again, we're, we're recording the heart. Who would you say has the capacity to make uh, the most joyful soundtrack? I mean, Pastor David comes close. Um, let's be, right, be honest, but um, in my life, uh, I want to tell you two stories about people that I've gotten to know who I see making a joyful noise amid a lot of difficulty and a lot of hardship and struggle. Um, we have, I mentioned just uh, previously, we, we've started this uh, leaders group for eight refugee men. And one of the guys in that group is uh, a brother named Jean Habanesa. And Jean is from the Congo, or his, his family comes from the Congo, but he grew up in a refugee camp in Rwanda. And um, 
John came here about five years ago. His family first moved to Wisconsin, and that lasted a, a few short months, and they said, we're getting out of here and coming to Texas. Um, and, um, and John is just a dear brother. He is a part of a, a church called the Jerusalem Refugee Church of Dallas. It's about 100 Congolese, uh, Kenya Rwanda speakers, and I've gotten to know John and partner with him over uh, the past two years. We did a really fun thing last the last two Christmas Eves. We had a joint Christmas Eve service uh, with Town North Prez, uh, which is just up the road from us, and the Congolese Church. And the first year, we were planning the service, and John came up to me and he said, he said, uh, Robbie, you know, uh, we need we need a long time to worship. It's Christmas Eve. We we would like to we would like to have a long time to worship. I said, okay, great. How like how much time would you guys need? He's like, well, back home we would worship all night. I'm like, well, no, that's not going to happen. So <laughs> we we're n- <laughs> I'm not going to ask Town North if that can happen. But I said, uh, you know, what do you think? He said, well, midnight. I was like, how about ten? And so we, we started this joint service at 5 p.m., and it was beautiful, the candlelight service. Uh, the Congolese and the folks of Town North together worshiping. They did a praise song. It was great. And, you know, the, the, the normal candlelight service finished. Everyone went home, but the Congolese stayed. And they stayed, and they worshiped and danced. And uh, we got to be a part, we've gotten to be a part of this for two years now. And it is just such a precious way to welcome the arrival and to remember the arrival of of Jesus. Um, I asked John, though, I said, John, why do you need so much time to to do this? And he said, you know, when we were sitting in the the refugee camps in Rwanda, we had no idea what was going to be next for us. And we cried out to the Lord, and he delivered us, and he's brought us here. We have so much to be thankful for. I mean, just... (laughs) cut me to my knees seeing a picture of a whole community making a joyful noise in this way. Another friend who is in this uh, refugee leaders group is also a, a Congolese brother, and his name is Safari, uh, Safari uh, Kaganizera. And Safari uh, is also a dear guy. He waited 19 years in a different refugee camp in Rwanda, and uh, his family of nine arrived here on January 19th, 2016. And um, he has, I mean, his, his life is, is very difficult. He's had, a, he's had a difficult life back home. His life here is hard too. And that's uh, very common for a lot of the refugee families um, adapting and trying to figure out this crazy new place uh, we call America. And... Um, last week, or two weeks ago, a third guy who is from Bermuda is here with Wycliffe Bible Translators, uh, shared with us that he was having some difficulties with his visa. And Safari uh, came and he said to him, you know, we're just going to pray. We're going we're gonna to pray right now. And God is going to hear you because God has heard us and he hears you. And, you know, it's one thing for me to say that to you all. It's one thing for you to read that in Scripture. But when you know what somebody has been through, and you know that they have found the God of the covenants to be faithful, 
again and again and again. There's power in that. And you can step on that. You can build your lives around that. You can give yourself to that God. And when you do, it will make you sing with joy, even amidst incredible hardship, suffering I can't make, my, make sense of, would bring me to my knees. The most joyful, some of the most joyful people I know who, who can do this, who can live a Psalm 98 life, are these brothers and sisters who God has brought uh, from, from a world away. Um, it's, there's, there's a little reference in, in the middle of those, in the middle of um, Psalm 98. Uh, you can see, as, as, as we make um, joyful noise, we sing praises to the Lord with a lyre and, and trumpets, which are like long bugles, and, and the horn, and that's kind of like the curvy ram's horn, the horn of Gondor or something. And um, that all comes together. Look at the end of verse 5. What happens when God's people... Um, relying on the Lord, walking, living this way, singing and making joy. What happens when they do that? You don't just do it in isolation, isolation from each other. You do that together. You make a melody. Disparate instruments, different voices coming together before, at the end of verse 6, the King, the Lord. So, um, remember, God is the God, our God is the God who saves. Our God is the God who reigns now. Even now, he sits on the throne. And finally, he is the God who promises to come again. So let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the rivers clap their hands and hills sing for joy together. I mean, this just gets a little weird. <laughs> uh, can you imagine the Trinity River clapping its hands? I mean, the Trinity is like, let's get some water in it first. And then, um, but I mean, what kind of reality is this? This is something which is still to come. This is the reality that Paul is thinking about in Romans 8, where he says, Oh, all the creation, um, all the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God, for the creation that was subjected to futility because of our sin, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. Now that creation itself will be set free from the bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. The whole creation, you know these words well, the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth, waiting and longing for this day when this God returns to judge the earth. The very end of the, the psalm, he will judge the earth, the world with righteousness and the peoples. And again, that's not just, not just one tribe, that's the entire creation and people from every tribe and tongue and nation. He will judge with righteousness and with equity. Um, sounds highfalutin, but, but he's saying he's going to come and make everything right. Jesus is, is who this psalm is picturing. Jesus is who the psalmist, maybe a thousand years before, maybe 700 years before, maybe, maybe 500 years before Jesus actually does come and, and the Christmas carol makes sense. This is thinking about Jesus. And we should think about Jesus too. We should think about that day and long for that day and sing for that day when he will come again and make all things new. Not make all new things, but make all things new. Redeeming our messed up attitudes and our um, melancholic soundtracks. Uh, lifeless worship. Redeeming all that stuff and giving us the new vigor 
transforming the old songs and making them new. Um, this is, a, this is the, the inspiration for the world's most famous Christmas carol, Joy to the World, Universally Beloved. Did you know that, that Joy to the World did not begin as a Christmas carol? Isaac Watts wrote it in 1719, and he was simply uh, taking inspiration from the Psalms and recasting every single psalm in light of the coming of Jesus and the promise that he would come again. And that's what yielded the poetry of joy to the world. We're going to sing it in a minute, but if I could just read it for you, and before you hear the melody come in, just let yourself be struck by the forward-looking nature of what Watts wrote. No more. Let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found because he rules the world with truth and grace and he makes the nations. He makes ISIS. He makes the Iranian Republic. He makes the Chinese autocrats. He makes our neighbors. He makes us prove the glories of his righteousness, the wonders of his love. Joy to the world is right. Not just joy to the world, though. Joy for the world. This joy, if you get your your hands around it, if you get your heart around it, it starts to change your outlook. It starts to change the way that you look at neighbors. It, 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 saves you from fear or from idols. It saves you. It's, that's what it's done in me. I mean, I am the last person you guys ever would have imagined was going to be going to church plant among refugees. I mean, this is, only God can, can draw something like this up. But I'm not any different from you all. Joy to the world. It means joy for the world. 